And I remember just thinking, I am still not happy. Like there is something wrong. I didn't feel like I was making a difference with my life. And I was like, I don't even know where to go from here. Like my whole career is marketing. Am I going to reinvent myself, do something completely different? You see some people just pick up and just completely go open a bed and breakfast somewhere. You know, and like, what, what am I going to do? And I just remember sitting on the couch and stumbling upon RuPaul's Drag Race. That's my guest on today's episode of the Mic Drop Moment, talking about one of her mic drop moments when she became an unlikely drag performer. She's the author of four best-selling books, including three on customer loyalty and including one of my favorite books on marketing of all time. It's called Monster Loyalty, How Lady Gaga Turns Followers into Fanatics. Her latest book is called Fiercely You, Be Fabulous and Confident by Thinking Like a Drag Queen. Her latest project is called Drag Out the Vote. It's a nonpartisan organization that works with drag performers to promote participation in democracy. In 2016, 100 million voters did not vote. Here's my conversation with Jackie Huba, where we talk about Gaga, marketing, RuPaul, Queens, and reinventing yourself. So you have a story to tell, and you wonder, how can you own the stage? Give that killer speech and captivate the audience. Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment, where I bring you bold conversations with public speaking powerhouses, expert advice from personal development leaders, and many public speaking and storytelling masterclasses to give you real-life valuable takeaways to craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your Mic Drop Moment. Let's get started. You've always been somebody that I come to for fresh and new ideas when it comes to customer loyalty and marketing. Your early books, Creating Customer Evangelists, How Loyal Customers Become Volunteer Salesforce, and also Citizen Marketers, were two of the books that were required reading back when I was a little assistant manager making sandwiches. How did you come up with and how do you keep coming up with these new and innovative ways to think of marketing and and customer loyalty? When my co-author and I Literally in, oh my gosh, 1999, we joined an interactive agency in Dallas. And this was, <laughs> oh my gosh, way back in the day uh, where people just started um, using online advertising and specifically email marketing. And so we were working with some of the biggest brands from P&G. We were working with Campbell Soup. And I remember I was in charge of all the uh, account services folks, right? So we are helping like Campbell Soup, do email marketing. This is, it was revolutionary back then. They were like, let's email out recipes. People are going to love recipes. And so we created these email marketing campaigns and we did not realize what was going to happen is that people were going to forward them to all their friends. And that broke all the servers. Like it broke the campaign because we did not understand pass along. We did not understand word of mouth. We did not understand that people will evangelize for things that they love. And that's the first time it hit us. So when um, my co-author and I left in 2001, our first book that we wrote in 2003 was called Creating Customer Evangelists. And it was all about customers who love what you're doing and they love to share it with other people. And so what you're referencing in 2006 was the rise of like social media where you had these word of mouth like jet streams where people could create content, videos, images, whatever. And when they talk about brands, that's marketing. And you have no, you had no control over it at that time. And of course, we've come a long way. But 
like we were talking about it. We were doing it back in, you know, 2000 and 2000s was just with pass along. And then it just exploded with blogging and YouTube and all of that. Well, I love it in a way long before Kim Kardashian broke the internet, you and Campbell's soup broke the internet. <laughs> hey, everyone loves a good recipe, Mike. You know what? I am, I am here for it. I always make this joke of like when um, real estate agents send their little newsletters and there's a recipe in it. And I always make this joke <laughs> of like, who needs those recipes? But at some point we needed those recipes long before there was New York Times cooking. That's right. And if anybody has an energy bar recipe, because I don't cook, but I really need to make some at home, please send it to me. <laughs> nice, nice. You're going to get all the energy bars from my, from my crew here. So that made me curious. How did Jackie go from working with Campbell's on soup recipes to writing books about customer evangelism to covering one of the biggest pop stars in the world, Lady Gaga, with her book Monster Loyalty, How Lady Gaga Turns Followers into Fanatics? So from soup to Gaga, I was curious. <laughs> um, you know, I think part of it was that um, in being a public speaker, uh, and being an author, you're always looking for great case studies, right? And so the problem is that like, everybody in our industry who's talking about customer loyalty, customer stance, we're using the same old case studies. You know, we're using Southwest Airlines and we're using Zappos. And it just it was so, it got so boring to me. And out of nowhere in 2008, this weird performance artist, pop singer, chick, you know, comes on the scene. I'm like, who is this? Wow, catchy music. And then I started really looking into her. And then I started realizing how she was interacting with fans. And I had never seen any other pop star do this. So literally for um, four years straight, I just researched the crap out of her. I was obsessed. I read everything she did, every interview her manager gave. I saw her concerts. I was on the fan sites every single day. And there were a million fan sites and I started incorporating her um, into my talks. And first it was five minutes, then it was 10 minutes. And then it was, I would do a whole 15 minutes on her because people were so fascinated. And then after, you know, four years of doing this, I was like, huh, I have enough here for a book. And the, and the moment, there was one moment where I realized this could be a book is when I saw Coca-Cola invited Lady Gaga's manager to come speak to all the marketing people about how to engage with your fans online, I was like, holy hell, brands are paying attention to her. You know, and as a speaker and author, you need something interesting. You need a twist. You need something that um, is different. And writing an entire business book about Lady Gaga and customer loyalty, never been done. No one had taken that angle. So I just decided to do it. And it's been my number one talk ever since. It's such a great one. It's, it's a great book. I love the book. I love the... I just think that you're so, you know, a lot of people take a case study and they they write something like you said, but this actually is like a whole book on how to do marketing based on Gaga. And so how did you get access to that world or was it just really research? A lot of it was research. Um, when I was writing the book, she was on the Born This Way tour for a year overseas. So I couldn't speak to her, but I did speak to her team. And um, a lot of it is observation. A lot of it, she gave a ton of interviews. Her manager gave a ton of interviews. I mean, they were very clear about what they were doing. Um, but you could see what they were doing because they were doing it in, you know, in full light. Also, I interviewed her fans as well. So I was getting, you know, their, their side of it. So I, and there were so many stories that never got written in the press. Uh, but she, she, 
was again doing things that like no one knew. So I knew I had these a ton of stories that no one had ever heard of. Because only if you were a little monster and you were monitoring her left and right, would you ever have heard these stories. So I knew I had a ton of things I could put in a book. You know, we need to create experiences when we are speaking. And I have so many fun things I do in my keynotes with her perfume. Um, I've done Lady Gaga dance-offs to give it away. Um, I go out into the crowd and have people talk about things they're fans. Like, it's just a really fun experiential talk. But I would never have been able to create it had I not had such a fun subject matter. One of the things I always say when I'm working with people to become better storytellers or public speakers is that they have to live a great life, that they have to constantly be looking for interesting case studies and interesting things that are happening to turn it into stories. And Jackie's done that so well. I was curious what advice she had for people that wanted to bring in new ideas and new stories into their content marketing, their storytelling, their public speaking. Um, well, to me, they should be paying attention to a lot of stuff outside their industry, because I think innovation happens when you look beyond your, like the best practices in your industry, because the best practices are only, you're copying everybody else. To me, innovation happens when you look way beyond. So that, when I start my talk, I always say to folks in the audience, I'm like, Hey, this is a conference full of lawyers. And how many of you thought when you came in here, you were going to learn from Lady Gaga about how to be, how to have a better law practice. Please raise your hand, you know, and it's like innovation happens when we look at the edges outside of what we normally do, I think. And so I always tell people like, um, so if you're, if you're going to do a talk, like look for the, the interesting, the strange. And again, we, we as speakers want to be talked about. So including things in your talk that are different, um, that maybe no one has talked about before, bringing in examples from the outside. In my book, like for example, and in my talk, I talk about Lady Gaga, but I also talk about how businesses are doing what she's doing. Like they're not wearing meat <laughs> dresses, right? But they are the same seven print customer loyalty principles are used by Whole Foods and by Mini and by lots of other companies. I'm just putting it in the wrapper of Lady Gaga because that's fun and interesting and everyone's talking about her. So since 2013, Gaga's had such a, a change. When you give the talk now, are you updating it with you know, Oscar buzz and things like that? Or, or are you following her still today? I follow her still today. And I just add a little bit to the front. Um, the stories are still the stories because most people still haven't heard these stories. Yeah. So I'm telling stories that people don't know. And I think because some people have caught onto her late and they only know, you know, some of the later stuff, they don't know how she built what she built. And I think for a lot of um, organizations, they, you know, there's kind of, they want to know how she built it. Um, it's easier for her to do things now because everyone's watching her and she's massive. But I mean, she came from nowhere uh, and built this entire worldwide fan base. And to me, that is, is really the fascinating part. And she did it using these grassroots loyalty strategies, which is just absolutely brilliant. And what do you think? So if someone is out there and they're thinking, one, they're looking at Jackie Huba and saying, oh my gosh, this is a speaker I want to be like. She's doing great things. She's she's writing books that are, again, your, I think your books are some of the most interesting and unique books in the same way. Obviously, uh, you're, you're writing about Gaga because you have that same vein. I think for so many people, I look at you and I think, wow, this is someone innovative. I want to think like her. And so if if someone is out there and they think, oh, I want to borrow some of these lessons what would be the big through line from monster loyalty that you would say, Hey, person who wants to build a speaking brand, this is what you should be doing besides bringing in new and interesting topics like Gaga to your work. Some of it is just, um, 
talking about things that you're super passionate about too. I mean, I think in the business world, it's kind of challenging. And honestly, as I mentioned before, I was kind of getting bored of the same old, same old. And for myself, I had to inject something interesting and creative. So when I get inspired by, I mean, I'm personally inspired by Gaga. Literally, as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking, this is the dumbest idea ever. Are people going to read a business book about Lady Gaga? And then I thought, like, literally look at what Gaga was doing. Like, she's this performance artist who's like lighting pianos on fire, you know, as she's performing and she's got these crazy outfits and she's walking around all the time as if it was a performance, right? She has crazy fashions, like just going from her, the front door of her hotel into her car as an event. And so I was like taking risks and getting outside your comfort zone for me that I now see as a through line to like what I'm doing today. But I think um, that is a lot, that is a lesson that I think a lot of people might think about, like, how do I get outside the normal things I do and take some risks? Cause I think that's where you get payoffs. You use a Lady Gaga quote at the top of chapter two of the book, which I love. The chapter is on leading with values. And the quote says, it has nothing to do with the way that I dress or how I sound. It has everything to do with the power of the message. And so the idea there from Gaga, I think, is is the things that I'm doing are supporting my overall message. What For, for Jackie Hubo, what's the message? What do you think is the the outside of the Gaga book and, and the, the uh, Fiercely You book and Lady Trinity and all of these different things that you're doing. What's the, what's the power of the message behind Jackie Huba? Wow. That is a big question, Mike. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on my, um, I'm working on my Oprah skills here. <laughs> oh, you can't see me, but I'm crying right now. If you like this episode with Jackie and want to stay tuned, then please hit subscribe and join us on future episodes. I think it's to make a difference. I think it's to make a difference. It's funny because um, for the longest time as a speaker, I thought that I was a like a teacher, like I was teaching concepts, mm. you know. And I, I realized that it's part entertainer, part inspiring. I, I I'm trying to inspire people to do something different. So you know, back in the marketing days when I was talking about marketing and customer loyalty, I wanted people to shift their thinking about what they thought loyalty was. You know, it's not a rewards program. It's relationships with people who love what you're doing and want to tell everybody. Like, and then we can, we can talk more about Fiercely You, but that one is that new, that book, um, again, was inspiring, trying to inspire people to do things differently, to, to be all that they can be. I'm sounding, now I'm sounding like Oprah. Um, to to uh, not be afraid to try new things. We only have one life. What are we going to do with it? Um, and I think we need to live it to the fullest and not be afraid. And so that's why uh, I've spent a lot of time researching confidence for that fourth book and for Fiercely You and trying to have people think differently. Before Fiercely You, before Monster Loyalty, was there a part for you that you thought, oh, this is because I, I believe that we kind of seek out the things we need. And, and people that create really great things often create them from a place that they need that as well. And so you talked about, you know, in the corporate world, maybe being bored a little bit. Did you... Do you think that part of that was also that you wanted to be able to find this way to be confidently you? Um, well, the fiercely you thing came out of a really dark place uh, a number of years ago, right? Like I, I, gosh, when was this? This was um, I can't even remember. Twenty fourteen. It's like Gog, the Gaga book had come out; it had done pretty well. The speaking had done amazingly, and I remember just thinking, I am still not happy. Like there is something wrong. Uh, and I think I was like 47. I remember, and I talk about this a little bit in my TEDx talk. Um, 
how I, I'd gotten out of a long relationship. I was so, I'm just getting tired of the marketing thing. I didn't feel like I was making a difference with my life. And I was like, I don't even know where to go from here. Like my whole career is marketing. Am I going to reinvent myself, do something completely different? You see some people just pick up and just completely go open a bed and breakfast somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? What am I going to do? And I just remember sitting on the couch and stumbling upon RuPaul's Drag Race, the amazing television show that RuPaul hosts, which some people still don't know about, which is the best show on television, which is a reality competition show where, you know, drag queens compete to be America's next drag superstar. And I knew about drag, but what I learned from this show is that these performers were creating these like fierce female personas. And all I saw was confidence and I saw fierceness and I saw completely owning yourself and loving what you're doing. And I'm like, shit, man, I need that. That is what I need. Um, and I did, I thought I'm, I don't know. I'm just going to learn everything about how they do that. Cause maybe if I learn how to do that, I can do that in my real life and somehow something will happen because <laughs> that's amazing. I just was in love with these, these, these performers. And so I just threw myself into it and started learning about how drag is so transformational. It's literally, I think every single person should have a drag transformation moment because there is something so powerful in letting yourself be the most powerful version of yourself. It is life-changing. And so you're, so you're sitting there watching this and you see this on TV. And so was it in the first episode that you thought, oh my gosh, I should, I should learn about drag? Did you have an idea then that you were ever going to do it? No, uh, uh-uh. I no, because this thing's been on for ten years, right? So I had to watch season after season. It took me a while. I was like, "Ooh, I'm watching season after season." I started with season four, and then I went back to three, two, one, and then I realized, "Holy crap! These drag drag race superstars are coming to Austin, Texas, where I live. Every week they're coming to Oil Can Harry's down the street." So I'm like, "Ooh, I gotta go." And so I would go and I would see all the local drag performers and I would go to San Antonio and see, cause they were bringing drag race Queens into. And then I got to meet all the local performers there and then all the drag um, event promoters in, in San Antonio and in Austin. And I was just fascinated. And I was like, Oh my God, there's something I I said to myself, I'm going to write a book about this. I don't even know. I don't even know what the premise of the book is. I just, everyone needs to know about this because I'm so inspired by it. I think other people will be inspired by it. And it just sort of happened that I started asking these promoters, Hey, you're bringing the Queens in. Can I interview them? They're like, sure. And so they just introduced me to all these drag race Queens. I interviewed 17 Queens. And then I started to realize, huh, there's something I could teach people about transformation, about what drag could help you do. And then someone said to me, well, you have to, then you have to create a drag character and you have to, how can you write about, the transformational qualities of, of, uh, of drag. If you're not going to do it yourself, I was like, Holy shit. Okay. So maybe this whole thing is about finding your confidence through understanding that we can create whatever version we are of ourselves. I need to take my own advice, do this crazy thing called create a drag character and perform, learn everything there is to learn and just do it. And so, yeah, I, I mentored with a top drag queen in Austin for months and months and months. She, Hosted the big drag show here. And then I, she's like, you need to perform. I can't just teach you makeup. And then you just sit in your, you know, sit in your apartment. What's that going to do? I'm like, oh my. So like, I literally spent, you know, two years pushing every comfort zone I had. 
um, taking burlesque classes for training. Cause even though I'm a public speaker, I'm, I'm not a trained actor. I'm not, you know, I don't have that bat, I'm not a dancer. Oh my gosh. You, it, when you have to create a character and figure out what to do on stage with it, it's a, it is a scary moment. So I think, so in, in 2015, you spoke at TEDx Vancouver Mm-hmm. as Lady Trinity. Well, as mm-hmm. Jackie Huba, who becomes... Was this the first time ever that somebody actually transformed into a drag queen in front of everyone's eyes? I don't know if it was the first time anyone. It was the first time a um, cisgender straight woman has... It's the first time that a female drag queen, I think, had ever done it. Wow. For sure. For sure. The first time. Yeah. Because I think there have been a, a few guys who had... I don't know that they transformed. I think they came out and talked as their drag persona. Sure. Yeah, um, but in that TEDx talk, which, oh my God, it was the culmination of everything I had done in two years in performing. I performed at the Austin International Drag Festival. I performed in all these places and I got invited to speak at TEDx. They literally wanted me to speak on Lady Gaga and customer loyalty. And I said, no, I really want to speak about the tra- being transformed by unleashing your inner drag queen. And they're like, oh my God, we love it. <laughs> and... Um, so I, I didn't want to get up there and talk about drag and unleashing your inner drag queen without showing them some drag. So for people who haven't seen this talk, it's um, coming out uh, in like almost professional wear with this like suit and a wig that looks like my hair. And I talk for 12 minutes in front of 5,000 people in a giant NHL hockey stadium in Vancouver, which was petrifying. Um, and I talked for 12 minutes about, you know, how I, everything I'm telling you here, like how I learned about drag, how, how transformational it is, how understanding the psychology of how drag queens create these personas and how we can use them in everyday life is so amazing. And then at the end, I wanted to show people what drag was. So I said, you know, I might walk out looking like this, but underneath I have Lady Trinity and she looks like this and I do a wig reveal and I have four backup dancers who come out and pull off that suit into a sequin cat suit. And we do a little one minute little drag lip sync routine. <laughs> oh my God. It was a thing. <laughs> I think it was the most expensive Ted talk in history because I flew all my backup dancers plus an extra guy in case something happened, plus a hair and makeup person. <laughs> oh my God. It's a, it, yeah. it is a, I mean, I'm, I've watched it so many times. I watched it again in, in prep to to have this conversation. And it is such a mic drop moment when all of a sudden four men show up and rip your suit off. And underneath is like, like sequined jumpsuit yeah, and a red wig. Yeah. Yes, we had to practice the shit out of that. That That is hard. That is hard because that wig reveal can go a million ways wrong with the microphone still on. In practice, they would rip the suit and it would it would tear. They would pull too hard. I would fall over, you know. And you have one moment to make that right because there's five cameras on cranes and everywhere capturing that. You have one, you know, one time. If you fuck it up, uh, wow, that's your whole TED talk down the tube, man. It was, <laughs> it was, it was petrifying. I almost couldn't like make my feet go out there and do it. It was, and I literally forget the choreography for like five seconds in the middle of it. <laughs> like whatever. I kept going. And that was the point. Like I, I made it through, I kept going and you can see I'm not a dancer. Like I learned all my moves on MTV back in the day. Uh, <laughs> it's not the point. Like the point is 
it's it's about you know getting outside your comfort zone and doing these crazy things and i just wanted it to be the most over the top thing i could possibly do um and show people that you can do anything when you create this bigger version of yourself you know it, it becomes real and so what so so going in you were not like walking it flying into vancouver you were not like hey i'm here i am i'm doing this thing you were still uh, nervous a little bit but did it anyway yeah it was so funny because my in drag parlance you know you talk about your drag mother so the woman who um she's a trans woman she's a drag artist here in austin the one who mentored me and i was in her shows i flew her to vancouver to be my hair and makeup person because she's also a makeup artist and she had to like talk me down because we were at we were at the end of almost the end of the agenda and so we had the whole day to just sit back there <laughs> And I'm just watching amazing speaker after amazing speaker. And she's like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're writing a book about confidence. And I was literally crying backstage the whole day. Um, but we did it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And it was fun. But it was all an adventure and a push outside my comfort zone. It's truly, it is the scariest thing I've ever done when you, when you did, when you were done, did you remember it or was it like one of those, like, I don't even know what just happened. I didn't know what just happened, but, um, I had to take the advice of what I wrote in the book because in the book, I researched a lot of psychology. Um, there's like, I call it the five keys to fierce, right? And so I break down for people like how drag queens do what they do and how we can do it in everyday life. And one of the things, uh, that we can do in everyday life for confidence is that when you get outside your comfort zone, and you do something, the next time you get outside your comfort zone, you channel that thing. And it literally changes your hormonal levels. It changes how you act. It's called uh, power priming. You're power priming your brain. So in that moment, I had to look back and go, oh, bitch, come on. You um, performed in Austin in front of all of these people with you know seasoned drag queens. You um, did this burlesque class where you had to do an entire striptease at the end of six weeks in front of all these your entire class was so scary. You um, I, I, you performed at the Austin International Drag Festival and you opened for Derek Berry, the top Britney Spears impersonator in the world. You know, And so I just had to keep channeling, hey, you did that thing, you can do this. Hey, you did that other thing, you can do this. And so I had to, you have to keep power priming your brain to say, this is just one step further. I've done all these things. I, I made it through. Here's just one more thing. So bitch, come on, just do it. <laughs> And in the in the book, you talk about how you had applied for several TEDx events and they said no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I applied to TEDx. I'm just going to out, out them. TEDx San Antonio. And um, yeah, I had more. I know I had more speaking experience than anybody that they got. But uh, they loved the idea. They loved everything. But a male drag queen had applied to speak and mm. he had this whole performance where he was going to de-drag and talk about his persona. And they said, we didn't want to drag people up there talking about dragon. And, and then uh, the, one of the guys on the board goes, and plus you're not, it's, it's not like you're a real drag queen anyways. Right. <laughs> I was like, Oh, wow. Okay, fine. <laughs> that hit me for a while. And then I was like, mm, okay, but thank God that they didn't, thank God that they did not accept me because 
it wasn't just a couple months later that the biggest, one of the biggest TEDx's in the world, TEDx Vancouver, which is humongous, right in the NHL hockey stadium, 5,000 people was so much different uh, and so much better. And so I'm glad that they rejected me actually. And how did you find, one of the things I think a lot of people who are being asked to go speak and, you know, we talked earlier about so many of the case studies being boring, but I also think a lot of people struggle to put themselves honestly into the speech. And in this, in this TEDx Vancouver talk, you talk about not feeling successful, feeling bored and insecure and wanting to reinvent yourself. How did you find the courage to stand up there and be that honest? Because typically you're a business speaker. You're going in and you're, you're, you know, talking about monster loyalty. You're talking about Gaga and Apple and, and Mini Cooper, like you said, at Whole Foods. But this was one of the first times maybe that you stood up there as yourself, that vulnerable, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. It, and it's not just the talk. It's actually the book, too. Mm. Um, the book is very personal. Um, and yeah, I, I had always, it's so much easier to talk and tell stories about business and other things. It, it's so much harder to talk about yourself and be vulnerable, but that whole experience, uh, of writing the book helped me to do that. And I will never forget this. Like we had, my co-author um, was a therapist and she was helping me break down all the psychology. And we had given the first draft of the book to like a, um, some early readers. And um, my good friend, Cody, he's reading it and he goes, you know, you're talking about these things that happened to you in this whole process of, of learning to do drag and what, what, it, what, what it has revealed about you. But you're just skimming the surface on some of this stuff. You need to go further. And I was like, oh. And it really starts to like root to the issues of my whole life. Okay, here's your Oprah moment. So um, my family is not, we don't talk about emotions. My parents never told me they loved me ever. Like we are just these stoic people who don't talk about emotions. And when I saw this from Cody, I was like, oh my God, okay. Luckily, my friend, my co-author was a therapist. We literally did therapy sessions where we dug underneath the incident that had happened and, sh- and we recorded it. And so I'm like crying through these therapy, but we ha- that's the only way I could get it out onto the page was for her to ask me these questions and for us to record it. And I told that story about my parents and I remember having this to-do list on my board where it's like, Don't forget to tell your parents when the book comes out that you said this about them. (laughs) Because who wants to have that? Like, we've never had conversations that deep. And now I put it in a book for everyone to read. And so the day before it came out on Amazon, I had to call my parents. I'm like, hey, (laughs) guess what? I told everyone about you guys and our family. Uh, and it was just the weirdest thing. I'm like crying. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm, that's how we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they weren't upset. No, they were not. They were nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here I am telling more about them, but this is how they are. They're like, I said, you know, we're, we don't talk about things in our family like this. Like you guys have never said this. They're like, yeah. <laughs> 
oh my gosh, it was crazy. Uh, and I, but I felt better and I don't know how they felt. I think they were fine. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the story. That's the story, yeah. So the process of writing the book and becoming Lady Trinity, has that has that shaped you in a, in a significant way afterwards? Massively. Yeah. Massively. I, you come out of it feeling like you can do anything. Literally. You come out of it feeling like, I don't care what people say about me. It doesn't matter. I, RuPaul has that great quote, unless they're paying your bills, pay them bitches, no mind. And I take that <laughs> to heart. I do not care. Um, I, like, I'm one of these sort of um, introverted extroverts. So I, like, I was shy all my life. I was shy, shy as a kid, which is weird that I'm a public speaker. I still, uh, and I think this is how we're socialized as women. Like, I don't like to um, ask things in a very polite way. But if someone says no, I'm not going to go back and say, you know, a sales, a sales coach would be like, no, is just a yes for later. Like, keep asking. <laughs> you know, you'll get, you know, the persistent persistency is what you need to do. And I would just be like, mm, no, no, no. And um, I'm not afraid to ask people and, and ask people many times for something if I'm passionate about it and I know that this will help them and it will help us as well. And I can talk more about that with Drag Off the Vote because it's really, um, it's really helped. But yeah, I don't know. I have a sense of confidence where I feel like I can do anything. I love it. And that the, the fourth key in the book is, is about this exact topic. It's about telling your critics to sashay away as a in drag parlance, right? Yeah, exactly. And one of the um, queens that I profile in that chapter, I believe, is Trixie Mattel, who <laughs> met her on season seven when she was flailing around on the season and didn't do well. And now she's a superstar mogul, literally with her own beauty line and and concerts and TV shows and all kinds of stuff. And I remember her saying, for for people who don't know, Trixie Mattel is this weird like mutant Barbie character with the weirdest makeup you've ever seen. And a lot of drag queens think it's about being beautiful and fishy, as they say, you know, looking like a real woman. But Trixie um, had gotten a lot of criticism when she came on the show because she looks so weird. It's like a Dolly Parton Barbie on steroids, like very strange, <laughs> right? Like clown makeup. And the quote I have in the book from her is, you know, she said, when I was playing Chicago, I couldn't get a lot of gigs. She's from Wisconsin because people were looking for these very feminine drag queens. And I look like a clown. And she said, you know, I had to realize like, I love what I look like. And I had to love myself enough for everybody. And I love that quote because it's, a, it's if you love yourself, then you you don't hear and you can, it's easier to push away anyone saying anything negative about what you're doing or or you personally. Um, and but that that's a hard lesson. Like that's I think that's the Lizzo lesson. I think that's why people really gravitate to Lizzo as well. Mm-hmm. And the the fifth key you go on to talk about uh, about the is about you better work. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is how you've taken this this process of becoming Lady Trinity, of learning about this, of writing fiercely you, of, of looking deep into your own path, and then maintaining it ongoingly. And you've now started a, a group called Drag Out the Vote. <laughs> yes. So talk about you better work. I mean, like you are working. You're not just somebody who popped in, wrote a book and disappeared from the scene. You are in the scene and creating Drag Out the Vote. Tell us about Drag Out the Vote. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny because this was just another moment over the summer. It's almost like the, uh, I was watching Drew Ball's Drag Race moment back in the day. It's like, I just, in the middle of the summer of 2019, I just was thinking ahead about the election and about the fact that a hundred million people didn't vote. And what if they had, how would things be different? And what a shame that is that half of our population is not voting. And I think that's terrible. And so I just thought, you know, I can keep doing what I'm doing. I can keep just marketing my own business and just vote and whatever. And I was like, I can't. There's, it's too important to my friends, my LGBT friends, to women's rights, to climate change. Like I just am so passionate about this stuff. And I'm really getting emotional on this, on this podcast, Mike. Um, I thought I have to do something. I have to do something. And it can't just be small. It can't just be local here in Austin. I just, it it has to be big. And so I thought, you know, voter registration and get out the vote are the most important things that I, and I think honestly, anybody can work on between now and 2020. And what can I bring to that? Well, I know a ton of drag queens all over the country and they have microphones in their hands. They have massive social media profiles. What if I could corral all those people and work on this with me. And so um, this this one moment, it was so funny, uh, Trinity the Tuck, which is a drag queen from Drag Race, who won season four of All Stars. I had been talking about this with a few friends, um, but hadn't done anything about this idea. And in June, she tweeted to her entire Twitter following, holy hell, how do I register voters at my shows? Because I can't take this anymore. And people started tagging me in in that thread going, I don't know, but Jackie Huba's working on something. <laughs> well, Jackie Huba wasn't working on shit. Jackie Huba was just talking about that. And I was like, and people went crazy. I was like, oh my God, this is, this could be, this could be an, not just an idea, this could be a thing. And so um, I took the next eight hours, I built a website. I got all the URLs. I called it drag out the vote. And it sort of like became a thing. And I cannot believe what has happened from the summer until now. It is insane, the amount of things that we've done. If you like this episode with Jackie and want to stay tuned, then please hit subscribe and join us on future episodes. One of the things that any of us with a platform can do is to start getting involved in things that matter to us. So I was curious how Jackie started getting momentum and gaining traction with Drag Out the Vote. I saw that these uh, drag race queens are on the, these massive tours. And for anyone in your audience who doesn't know, it seems like a niche, this, I, these folks who love drag and love drag race, but it's not. It's massive. And so there's these tours going on. The biggest one is called the RuPaul's Drag Race Work the World Tour. So for example, in Austin, when they come, they're playing the same theaters as where the Broadway uh, um, shows play, right? The wow. traveling shows. Yeah, the Paramount and the Bass Concert Hall in Austin. Like, they're coming to the biggest theaters across the country. And I thought, what if we could register voters there? So I found this group called headcount.org. They have 22,000 voter registration volunteers around the country. They register voters at music events since 2004. So I, I found them. I partnered with the, these big drag tours, and we've been registering voters um, on over 50 events already this fall by going on the Work the World Tour, RuPaul's Drag Race Work the World Tour by Bianca Del Rio, who won season six. Her tour is massive this fall. We were on her entire tour. 
registering voters, signing people up for texting alerts. Um, and so we got all this great traction. And then I went to RuPaul's Drag Con New York. I hired a professional videographer. We went from booth to booth to booth in my custom drag out <laughs> dress in drag. And we got 43 PSAs about voting um, from Michelle Visage, who's a judge on the show, Todrick Hall, um, and a zillion queens from Drag Race, including a bunch of winners. And so we've got you know all this great content. We're registering voters. We just launched our um, first big giant fundraiser, our Minneapolis fundraiser in January. It's an all-star drag uh, fundraiser, working with flip phone events there. And we have 16 queens, I think, so far. Uh, my good friend is Fifi O'Hara from season four of Drag Race. She's got a group called Queens United, where she brings queens together for causes. And so we're partnering with her to do this giant event. We'll probably raise thirty to $40,000. And we're just applying for non... We have nonprofit status now as a fiscally sponsored nonprofit, but we are going to... We're um, working on our 503, 501c3 status right now. My conversation with Jackie started to remind me of this moment from episode one of the Mic Drop Moment with Laura Gassner-Otting. She was talking about the responsibility when you're on the platform. Here's what she had to say. If we're on stage, if we're writing, if we're creating for people these mic drop moments, we have a responsibility to, 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 to you know, we, we can't get it wrong. Like we, we, have to, we have to be absolutely 100% certain in what we're delivering because people are listening to us. They're putting us up on that stage as if we are the ones with the answers. So we better have the answers. You could check out more of my interview with Laura by downloading episode one of the Mic Drop Moment. Now, back to Jackie. I was curious, was she always an activist? Was she born this way or did it develop later somehow? Where did it come from? I mean, I've never been politically, I mean, I voted every year my whole life. I've never done anything politically active like this, ever. I've never run a nonprofit, ever. Raising money and asking people for money, not a fun thing to do, <laughs> especially when you have no experience at it. Um, so I have literally just dived off the deep end into this whole set of stuff I've never, ever done before. And what's so amazing is everybody, like so many times we will ask for things and people will just give it to us. You know, I've got um, these lawyers working on my nonprofit status. Um, they're doing it for free. Um, we just had an entire rebrand of our entire, I mean, I literally went to Canva and used clip art to make our logo in our <laughs> website. It looked like crap. And the, um, the folks in Minneapolis who were helping us with this big fundraiser, uh, there's a young guy who's a designer and he's like, I'm designing the flyer for the event. He's like, Hey, would you do, you, would you mind if I just like spruced up your logo? I'm like, yeah, girl, do it. And you should see it. I mean, I wish I could show you. I could show you the before and after. I mean, we look so professional. We look amazing now because this this guy de- donated his design services. Um, it is insane. And maybe the most insane thing is that um, by the time this airs, we will have launched our our biggest online fundraiser. Lady Gaga's team just gave us two tickets to her residency that we can use in our fundraising. So. If you go to our uh, Drag Out the Vote on these socials or dragoutthevote2020.org, you'll see win a trip to see Lady Gaga in Vegas with flights, with um, hotel. We have a, a fabulous lace front wig donated by Wigs and Grace. We have jewelry from Isley, New York. We have other prizes that go with that. Like, it's insane. 
What an interesting uh, through line for you as well, going from monster loyalty to fiercely you to becoming this uh, political activist and now involving both drag and Lady Gaga. There's this uh, great, I don't know, roundness to that, isn't there? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that Lady, hey, Lady Gaga is a drag queen, um, which I talk about in fiercely you. Yeah, it's so, I almost feel like weirdly my life has set me up to do this. Like I almost feel like all of that has set me up to do this. Like I had to do it because somehow I made these choices that set me up to maybe uniquely do this. I don't know. Maybe anyone could have done this, but no one did. You know, I don't know. I just, it just seemed like it was sitting there in front of me. Like I could make this choice to jump into this. Um, But I have to tell you, like I, in the last couple of months, I've decided to mostly, if I can fundraise, make it my full-time job. Wow. Mm -hmm. And since I sort of made that leap, and that was about a month ago, I wake up every morning like, I, this is amazing. I'm so excited every day to wake up and, and work on this. The audience that you're working with and the people that you're rallying are often a group that's so marginalized and so not heard from. And it really stood out to me that the third key in Fiercely You is about strike a pose and embody your power. And seeing what you were doing with with Drag Out the Vote, not only in, in getting people registered, in reaching out to folks who often feel like their voice doesn't matter, that that you were really doing you were doing that. You were you were striking a pose and embodying your power and in the process enabling other people. And I just for for a, a little gay kid from the country uh watching that, I, I just feel it's such a cool thing. And I'm, I'm so excited that you have done that, Jackie. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. I think, I think a lot of our success is just that um, a lot of people realize the situation we're in and they're looking for a place to be involved. So I think all these uh, queens who are mostly uh, LGBT, um, non-binary, identifying a whole bunch of different ways are seeing so many things happen to, you know, their rights. And there's just so many issues, climate, like there's just so many issues that I think we all care about. And I think everyone's just looking to do something. And I think all I'm doing is providing this like um, little platform where we can all come together to, you know, do the best that we can do to change that. And that's voting. Yeah. I love it. Every you know, we're all characters and and whether we're character and actually probably every day when we wake up, like RuPaul says, we're in drag anyway. We choose the hair, the clothes, the shirt, the, every, the style, the way we talk, everything is drag. And I think that all great characters are always in the middle of a story. And, and certainly that's true for each of us. So if we were in the middle of the Jackie Huba story right now, uh, what what's still to be written? What do you think is is out there next? What do you wanna? What are you excited about? <laughs> that is such a great question, and I don't know. And I I have this weird faith that between now and 2020, uh, I'm gonna be doing so many amazing things and meeting so many amazing people and being connected to so many different things that I don't know why, I just have this feeling that something really amazing, once we get past November 2020, something, the next step, the next thing is gonna just reveal itself because I've put myself in all these situations I never would have been in before. And I don't know what it is, 
but I think it's going to be amazing. I just believe that. And that's my conversation with the one and only Jackie Huba. To find out more, log on to dragoutthevote2020.org or check him out on Instagram at dragoutthevote. And if you don't want to miss a single mic drop moment, I'd sure be honored if you'd hit subscribe to check out past episodes and be ready to catch future ones. So it's time to dial up the volume on your voice, use your story, wake up the world, and find your mic drop moment.